open your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 3. And uh, I wanted to take us here briefly in the short amount of time that we have left and think about this new year. And I'm curious, how many of you make it a pattern or a habit to set New Year's resolutions every year? Do you set a goal for yourself? Maybe you don't call it a resolution. How many of you set new goals for yourself every, every year? Just a handful of you, okay? Well, I thought it was interesting. Uh, I looked up what the top resolutions were and then the strangest resolutions, okay? And uh, the top resolutions probably won't surprise you. Um, exercise more, lose weight, get organized, learn a new skill or hobby, live life to the fullest, save more money, quit smoking, spend more time with people, travel more, read more. How many of you are not surprised by that list? Okay, Most of us, because that's the resolutions we would hear consistently. Now, here's some strange resolutions for you, okay? So if you're looking for something really unique or strange to set a goal for yourself this next year, here's some examples. Get a passport. Not to travel, just to own a passport. Wave at fellow motorists at a four-way stop. I really liked that one. I actually may try that. It's fun. See, that's, see, that's good. All right. Another one was just look at your bank balance. Refusing to doesn't mean you have more money. Understand, these are all goals that people have set, okay? To randomly, this, this is really strange. To randomly sew one sequin onto every piece of clothing you own. I don't know why that's a thing. And then the, the last one in this strange list that I had was to be able to finish a burrito from Chipotle. I guess whatever suits you, okay? And in all reality, it's, it's pretty interesting. If you look at statistics, only about 8% of people actually follow through with their resolutions or goals for a new year. 8%. You realize that means if we had 200 people here, only, only 20 of you, not even 20 of you, 16 of you would follow through on your goals, okay? Now, that doesn't tend to keep us from setting goals, but my encouragement today is we're just going to look at the first 12 verses of Proverbs 3. So Proverbs 3, if you don't have a Bible, there's a pew Bible there, and it's on page 627. Okay? And what I want to challenge us with is to think about what will you resolve to do in 2020. And specifically challenge you with what Proverbs 3 would suggest in just 12 verses that would keep you busy all year. Okay? And so I'm going to start, I'm going to read just a little section at a time, and we're going to highlight specifically what resolutions or goals we can determine directly from God's Word. Because I don't know about you, but that's the kind of goals I want to strive for. All right? And so in Proverbs 3, verse 1, it says, My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments for the length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. So recognize here in the first couple verses that this exhortation is from one person to another. 
And more specifically, if you were to go back to the beginning of Proverbs, you would find this is the, a, a message from a father to his son. And he's speaking these words of wisdom to his son to encourage him with these life lessons, things that to, to take to heart that are going to benefit him in the long term. And so let your heart, the heart not being the actual organ, but your whole being. So anytime you see that word heart in this passage, it's talking about let it be a part of all that you are. Not just a fragment, but everything. Let your heart keep my commandments for the length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Now, I don't know about you, but those are all things that sound really nice. Length of life. Days, years, and peace. Those are good things to strive for. And so right away, it should grasp our attention and make us go, Oh, wait, I should listen to this. If you're pursuing or desiring any of those things, then what follows after it should pique your interest. If not, if you're not desiring length of days and years of life and peace, then you can just stop right now, okay? Because I'm not going to have much encouragement for you in that sense, all right? But I would guess that most of us would desire at least one of those things right now. And so then in verse 3, it continues, it says, Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart so you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. So, resolution number one. Choose to be lovingly faithful. Choose to be lovingly faithful. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. In other words, allow these things to be part of who you are. Not merely words you speak. We can talk all day about being loving or being faithful. But until you put action to those words, they mean nothing. And so, according to this, the challenge is for you to choose to live in a way that pursues steadfast love and faithfulness. To not let them forsake you, but to literally bind them to your person so that you don't forget to pursue those things. Now, the cool thing about this section of Scripture is it not only gives you those challenges, but it gives you the results. And so, verse 4, it says, So you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. In other words, if you desire to be a person who is upright in character and modeling what God would intend for us to, to not only glorify God himself, but before men as well, then pursue steadfast love and faithfulness. Don't let those things go by the wayside. Now, going on in verse 5, it says in this familiar passage to many, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. The simple resolution to identify there is what? What is it? Trust who? 
Trust in the Lord, okay? Trust the Lord. Choose to trust the Lord. When you're looking at a new year, evaluate your life in the past. Choose to pursue steadfast love and faithfulness, but choose to trust the Lord. Now, as an example of this, I'm curious, how many of you have ever had the marvelous opportunity to ride a tandem bicycle? Has anyone ever? Okay, a few of you. If you haven't, I would encourage you to do so sometime, only do not ride in the front. Choose the back seat. And you get a great object lesson, personal testimony of how difficult it is to trust someone else at the helm. And I had an experience with this directly at a family camp we were at in Oregon, and one of our church members out there had a tandem bicycle, and he loved getting people on it that had never been on it just because their reaction was so hilarious. And what happens is when you get on that bicycle, you have handlebars on the back, you have pedals, but your handlebars do nothing. And so when you start to tilt one way or the other, what is your reaction? Oh! And all of a sudden, you find yourself tipping it all the way over rather than regaining your balance as you are so accustomed to do when you're in control. And so in all reality, the person in the back, their main responsibility is just to keep pedaling along even though they aren't actually steering and controlling where it's going. Now, that illustration came to mind when I thought about what it looks like practically for us to truly trust in the Lord with all our heart. It is us allowing God to be in that front seat and me taking the back and being okay even when I'm not going the direction that I think I should be going. But it also illustrates our tendency to respond in a way that goes against what God is maybe is trying to do in our lives because it's not comfortable or it just doesn't feel like this is what should be going on. And yet, what's the promise on the other side of this? That if we trust in the Lord with all our heart, we don't lean on our own understanding, but we acknowledge Him in all our ways and He will what? Make straight our paths. There is a difference between belief and trust, church. Belief says that I don't dispute the existence or reality of something, but trust puts action to those words. You cannot say that you are trusting in the Lord fully if you're still trying to steer the bike in the front seat. It doesn't work. Yet we often like to keep Jesus in the back for when we need him, when we get tired, when we don't really feel like steering anymore, rather than committing fully and saying, God, I'm going to trust you with whatever direction you're taking me in this. It doesn't deprive us of action. We still have a part to play. And yet, we have to ask the question, What have I chosen to put my trust in? Look at verse 7 next. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Be not wise in your own eyes. The 
challenge here is for you to choose humility. To choose humility. Now, every person I know or have ever encountered goes through at least a phase of being wise in their own eyes. Usually during their teenage years. Do I have anybody who rebukes that or says that's not accurate? Okay. I will admit that was me. And if any of you are parents of teenagers, you have seen that. And not saying that's the case all the time. Okay. And not saying there aren't exceptions to that. But recognizing that all of us at some point have struggled with this idea of being wise in our own eyes. Some of us never grow out of that. And we still struggle with that. Sometimes we're good most of the time, but we revert back to that. And so as I was thinking about this, I wrote down signs that you might struggle from wise eyes syndrome. Okay? Wise eyes syndrome, or Wes for short. You find that no matter what you do, everyone else seems to be wrong, including God. You, if, if, you, if that is you, if that divine, you might struggle with wise eyes syndrome. You find no need for prayer to be a consistent discipline in your life. That one was a challenging one for me to write down. Because how often do I approach a situation and not choose to pray the first time? If you struggle with that, you might struggle a little bit with wise eyes syndrome. Okay? You are willing to sacrifice relationships for the sake of being right. That's a hard pill to swallow. If you struggle with that, you might struggle with wise eyes syndrome. The last thing I wrote down was you find yourself constantly getting mad when things don't go your way. If that's a trigger and something that causes you to go, I just want it to go my way for once, you may struggle a little bit with wise eyes syndrome. This is a hard challenge, church. This is a hard thing to look at. It's easy for us to read, but way harder for us to apply and say, practically, how am I going to choose not to be wise in my own eyes, but to fear the Lord and turn away from evil? Understand, according to this, you cannot fear the Lord and be prideful at the same time. They are in direct competition and contrast with each other. The very nature of someone who fears the Lord is one who does not see themselves as God of their own life. Fear of the Lord, according to Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7, is the beginning of knowledge. And yet we switch that around many times. By nature, someone who fears the Lord will strive to turn away from that which is evil. And if you have a constant tension in you about what is good and what is evil... That's a good thing. It's good to have that tension and the conviction and the challenges in the midst of that. But the result is so encouraging to me, and it's worth the fight. Verse 8 says, It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Man, I could use that every single day. Healing to my flesh and refreshment to my bones. That's what I want to experience. I don't know about you. 
And according to this, that starts by me not being wise in my own eyes. Verse 9 goes on, it says, Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. Choose to steward your wealth God's way. In summary. Choose to manage your finances, your possessions, all that you have, however much that is. Choose to do it God's way. And we've talked about this before here on a Sunday morning. And the greatest takeaway that you can glean from Scripture's command on money is this. All we have is God's. And He can take it away just as easily as He gave it. Our greatest desire is not that you are compelled to give, rather that you have a healthy understanding of generosity and stewardship that is revealed by your desire to give. You can give 50% of what you make, but if, you des- if your desire is to puff yourself up instead of honoring the Lord, it's pointless. It's absolutely pointless. And the result of this is that God will provide. It says, honor the Lord with your wealth and the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. Now, this is understood, I want to clarify this, to be done as honoring to the Lord, not with ulterior motive of you going, I'm going to do this because it says I'm going to have more. And you will encounter people who will preach that gospel to you and say, if you just give more and give more and give more, God will give you even more than you gave. You may experience that, or you may wait to eternity to truly experience that. There is no promise in Scripture that if we give faithfully, God is somehow going to give back to us earthly. Sometimes He chooses to do so according to His will, but not always. That does not change our responsibility according to God's Word to be good stewards of what we have been given. Lastly, in verses 11 and 12, it says this, My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of His reproof. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. Now, out of all these resolutions from Proverbs 3, this one may be the most challenging. And it's to choose to find joy in God's reproof. To choose to find joy in God's correction. James communicates to us in his letter that God will send trial for the purpose of maturing us, to move us beyond where we're at. But if we choose always to fight back against God's correction or God's training or God's reproof or correction, then are we really seeking to become what God desires us to become? Or are we back to wise eyes syndrome that I've already learned what I need to learn? And the result... As you read the rest of Scripture in the midst of this, the result of choosing to respond with joy to God's reproof and correction is that you're going to grow. You're going to become more mature in your pursuit to become more like Jesus. And that's my prayer is that we would be moving towards becoming more like Christ and less like 
who we are right now. And as we understand why God disciplines, it should move us to a place where we say, thank you, Lord, that you don't just cast me to the side, but desire that I would become more than I am. It's going to motivate me to pursue Christ even further. Now, as I stated at the beginning, only about 8% of people achieve their New Year's goals. And so I'm asking you in the midst of this, what are you going to choose to resolve this next year? As I close, I want to read this excerpt. And I couldn't find an author on this, but know that I did not write this. I found it. And it simply said this. It says, I am the new year. I am an unspoiled page in your book of time. I am your next chance at the art of living. I am your opportunity to practice what you have learned about life during the last 12 months. All that you sought and didn't find is hidden in me, waiting for you to search it, but with more determination. All the good that you tried for and didn't achieve is mine to grant when you have fewer conflicting desires. All that you dreamed but didn't dare to do. All that you hoped but did not will. All the faith that you claimed but did not have. These slumber lightly, waiting to be awakened by the touch of a strong purpose. I am your opportunity to renew your allegiance to him who said, Behold, I make all things new. What will you resolve to do this next year? Heavenly Father, as we consider this challenge, I pray that you would focus our attention upon your word, that our desires, our goals, everything we strive for would root into what you desire for us as individuals, as representation of your son, as the bride of Christ, that we would be motivated simply by the reminder of the gospel, the good news, the sacrifice Jesus made to set goals that move us further to a place where we're more like Jesus than where we're ending this year at right now. May we continue that pursuit until you call us home. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and we're just going to sing this chorus as we prepare to leave together. God, you're so good. God, you're so good. God.